We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 355. Our guest today is a Grand Prix dressage rider and trainer based in Pennsylvania. She is a gold, silver, and bronze medalist, but most notably her gold medal scores on her horse Hot Tamale, which she trained from first level to Grand Prix. She has ridden many horses across many different levels. She has a very profound interest in breeding and really understanding young horses and bringing them along. On June 14th of this year, she received quite the surprise when her mayor, Legally Blonde, delivered not one, but twin foals. Despite excellent vet care, which included multiple ultrasounds, these two were completely unexpected. So here to share her story of how Elle and Emmett, of course, keeping the theme of Legally Blonde alive, came to be and what their future holds, here is our guest today, Kara Clothy. Kara? Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, would I, I have so many questions, um, but I still want to, I kind of want to hear about your background and how did you first get started into horses? Um, I kind of grew up a horse crazy kid. My parents made the mistake of taking us on like a dude ranch vacation when I was oh, yeah. young, like three or four. And I kind of got you know, hooked on it and begged my parents for lessons. So they relented and and got me and my sister riding lessons. And I was like, really serious about it. And my sister kind of gave it up as just, you know, this is way too much work and didn't didn't want anything to do with it. So I kind of got bitten by the bug. And, and then just from there was able to find some local stables and kind of unusual. I got started in dressage very early in life. That was like one of the first, um, the first local farm was actually a dressage farm. I think those kids grow up like jumping and sure, um, you know, eventing and stuff like that. So, um, I just always fell in love with dressage and I guess I still am. So yeah. So from there, I did a little bit with young riders, had some horses, different horses growing up and I did go to college and got an actual degree. That's not a horse degree. Um, I have a business degree and, but after college, um, got right back into horses full time and took a job working for a large warm blood breeder up here in Eastern Pennsylvania and has kind of been in the area ever since. So That's awesome. Um, was there ever, you know, while you were finishing up or mid college, was there ever a thought of not getting back into horses? No, <laughs> <laughs> that was always the end game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've been a dressage trainer for some time, getting the opportunity to ride and show many, many horses over the years. How did your experience with so many horses impact your riding? Um, I think it gives me just a, a pretty big toolbox that there are just so many different types of horses and different ways to go about different problems. I think I just was able to encounter very different, a lot of different types of horses, not just in 
uh, their physical attributes, but also their mental attributes and how they learn and how they process information. Um, and I think that's the biggest, the biggest bonus of being able to ride that many horses. I feel like also too, you kind of figure out what suits you and what you like. You found a really great partnership with your mayor, Legally Blonde, Blondie. Tell me a little bit about what makes her so special. (laughs) She is very much a chestnut mayor. And I personally mean that in the best sense of the word. I have, I lost count. I, I think I personally own, well, over 10 horses now. And I think a majority of those are chestnut mares. So wow, brave type, Um, you know, but she's really a, a, very intelligent horse. I've known her from the day she was born and she was very interactive and very intelligent from the day she was born. And she's, she's a very forward thinking horse through my many years of riding and, and riding many, many horses. I've found that like, I really like the hotter forward horses. Um, and she's certainly that she's like a little, a little powerhouse, but she certainly is full of opinions and you kind of have to you have to figure out where to, where to give a little bit and where to stay, you know, stay firm on your mm-hmm. beliefs. And uh, yeah. she certainly can test those boundaries a lot, but she's, she's a pretty, she's a pretty cool horse. Yeah. That's so cool. I grew up with a chestnut mayor also. And I feel like there were some moments that I needed to kind of like almost con her into thinking that what I was asking her to do was her idea. And then I feel like then we were all good, but (laughs) it's definitely like a a dance, but I feel like those mayors have just like so much heart. If like they're on your team, like, well, I think they'll, they'll give you 120%, whether that's, you know, whether that's in your favor or against you, (laughs) that's for you to uh, decide, but um, they will give you 120%. Regardless. Yeah. I love that. What? originally got you into breeding obviously one of your first jobs was at you know breeding facility what what made you so interested in in that aspect of the sport I have to say I probably wasn't super interested until I took that job and became very aware of how the breeding can really affect you know your knowledge of what you're getting into before you even sit on the horse um i think growing up i was very much like well you don't ride the you don't ride the papers and every horse mm. is individual which is true but i was very fortunate in my time to be able to ride sometimes like five or six horses out of the same mare or gosh probably like dozens and dozens out of certain stallions and you really knew by the time you were putting a foot in the stirrup, almost exactly what you were going to get on, uh, just because the breeding, it, it, you know, it really does, it does come into play. You kind of know what the contact's going to feel like, you know, what the energy level is going to feel like, you know, if it's going to be one that's a little, probably going to be a little tight in the back when you first get on, you know, and that kind of really was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, And plus it's a little bit addicting trying to like figure out which combination is going to come up with some next superstar. Mm. Um, So we're always, you know, trying to do, but. That's a very rare and unique feeling that you have had to experience with, you know, 
having those um, similarities between these babies that that you were able to, you know, like ride the young horses and see the similarities between the the moms or the stallions. That's so cool. And I feel like very little people in the horse world have probably felt what you felt. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely a kind of special experience. And I, you know, one I really enjoyed having. Definitely. Well, obviously, your your interest in breeding led you to breeding your own horse, Blondie. Like, what made you take the leap to decide to breed her? What <laughs> What do you feel like are the qualities that you wanted to recreate with a baby? Um, I mean, I always said if I could kind of recreate her exactly, I would be just fine with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, she's a little. She's she's she was able to get her special premium candidate distinction through the GOV, the German Oldenburg Verfahren. So that meant that if she, until she had a foal, she would be a special premium candidate. And then when she had a foal, she'd become a special premium mare. Wow. Um, so my life got a little bit hectic last year. Londi was kind of struggling with a few abscesses that were, you know, she'd be in work, she'd be out of work, in work, out of work, you know, nothing serious. But um, I just kind of made the decision that it was probably now or never to breed her. So I just went ahead and did it. I had also just acquired the stallion Chevain, who I had ridden as a young horse and really loved. Yeah. How did you decide on the stallion? Well, that was just one I, you know, I happened to have them in my barn. So I had access. I did think it was going to be a nice cross. It's a, it's an S line, um, which I thought would be a good cross for Blondie because it would maybe add a little bit of length of leg. She's pretty short, you know, and, and give her a little, just, just kind of, I thought it would benefit her confirmation. Um, and because he was in my barn and I knew him, that was also kind of cool to be able to not only know the mare that you're breeding, but also know the stallion and have personal experience riding the stallion you're breeding too. Cause that's also fun when you start the babies because you can really pull things from both the mother and the father that, you know, yeah. and so I, I had Shivane in my barn and my plan was always to geld him because uh, standing a stallion just holds no interest whatsoever <laughs> to me. Um, but I was like, well, let's, I'll breed a couple mares with fresh and then he can get gelded and, you know, it might be my only chance to breed to him. So I went ahead and did that. And I got a little bit more than what I bargained for with that. Yeah. I mean, you had many regular checkups, several ultrasounds and getting excited about the birth of your foal. So tell me about the moment you learned that Blondie was delivering a bonus foal. Yeah. So I had, um, I had sent her down to select breeder services in Maryland to foal out because to add to the stress of June, we were selling our current home farm, my fiance and I, and then buying a larger farm. So I knew it was going to be a stressful time trying to move a house, trying to move 13 horses, you know, with the business and everything like that. And I was just like, you know what, I would, I don't need to have a pregnant mare ready to fall on my plate um, while I do all this. So I sent her down to SBS and thank God I did because I got a a text message um, at 3.30 in the morning that Blondie had full twins and I honestly thought I was dreaming like I was like no I think I'm still I must still be asleep 
this can't possibly be happening. And sure enough, I got the pictures. I, you know, quick called the, you know, the vet on call down there at 3.30 in the morning. And she assured me that luckily Blondie was okay. That was my first, my first fear was that, you know, I was going to, I was going to lose my mare. And that was, you know, the, the scariest part, um, you know, but she assured me she was okay for the time being and, you know, and didn't struggle with the delivery and that both foals at that point were still alive. And that was about all we could. That's about the best we could do at that point is just, you know, go hour by hour. So it was definitely a shock. Um, and the next few days were a bit of a whirlwind between them going to New Bolton Center um, to get some more intensive care, us selling a house, buying a house. So it was it was a bit of a hectic few days. Yeah. How tell me a little bit about how those days went um, in terms of like the overall health, um, physically, developmentally for the babies and Blondie. Yeah, so they select breeders did a an amazing job delivering them and getting both of those foals stabilized. The colt was the smaller of the two. He weighed like a little under 30 pounds. Um, mm. The filly was the bigger one and she was just under 40 pounds. But to give an idea, like a normal single warm blood foal should have been about 75 to 100 pounds. So you know, their combined weight wasn't even um, what a normal foal is. So they were, they were very, very little. The Colt from the very beginning has always been a a fighter. I mean, he was the first one up. He was anxious and wanting to, you know, try to nurse. And he was actually so short, he couldn't reach the udder. Like he wanted to nurse so badly. So they would kind of like prop him up so that he could nurse and, you know, cause they really wanted to facilitate that suck reflex right from the get-go, you know, right. so that, that's so important. So they kind of propped him up and let him nurse. And, and then the filly was what we call a dummy foal. She was pretty slow. She didn't really have much of a suck reflex. She could get up with assistance um, and she could kind of mill around for a few seconds and then she would just kind of like go back down and go pass mm, out. Um yeah. and that that can be common, especially the few sets of twins that do survive. It is common for one to be a dummy foal. And luckily with with dummy foals, they do typically tend to wake up if you can get them the critical care they need in the beginning of their life, which you know means like really getting that colostrum in them. Um, mm-hmm. And so they were able to get a tube, a feeding tube in her in order to just pump that colostrum straight in because that's, you know, that's the most critical part of, of being a newborn foal is, is making sure they get all those antibodies from mom. So SBS was able to, to kind of support them overnight. And then first thing in the morning, took them straight to New Bolton Center, which is Penn University of Penn's medical center. And so then they were there at New Bolton for the next 10 days. And I I think all of the vets were really amazed with how well they were doing, honestly. Um, I mean, I was amazed with how well they were doing. I kind of, in the beginning, when she first delivered them, I was like, all right, Carol, 
don't get too attached. Like you're probably going to lose at least one, if not both of these folds, you just have to, you just have to, you know, not get too attached and, and take it day by day. And that's what we did. So they got to New Bolton and they assessed them. And, and one thing, uh, and this is such a, this has been such a learning experience for me because I didn't know many of these things. One thing is, I guess, premature foals or dismature foals lack the ossification in their hocks and their knees. And so you want to keep them on very, very restricted movement because otherwise you run the risk of them crushing the carpal and tarsal bones or the cartilage between the carpal and tarsal bones, since the bones actually aren't there yet. Right. Um, and once they do that damage to the cartilage, there's no, there's no remedy for it. So we wanted to make sure we weren't setting them up to be at risk for like premature arthritis in their lives. Like at this point I was like, well, you know, basically in for a penny and for a pound. I mean, at this point I had made the commitment to send Mm -hmm. them to New Bolton and I was like, well, we're going to have to do whatever we can do to not only save them, but hopefully give them the best, most productive life that we can. So they put them on very strict stall rest where they were actually in this tiny little pen with Blondie on, on a half wall uh, next to them so that she could see them, but they couldn't get up. They couldn't nurse. And like every hour and a half, two hours, the nurses would, would get them up, bring them in with Blondie, let them nurse and then take them back to their pen. And, um, that was frankly the biggest hurdle we had with them. Wow which is really amazing. At one point, Emmett, who's the Colt, um, developed a little bit of pneumonia. Um, I think he aspirated some milk because he was so short. He was reaching, you know, so much to get the udder. He actually just aspirated a little milk. So, but he, you know, he was on some antibiotics and that cleared up really well. And, and that was kind of it. Um, And then once they could go in with mom, they, told me I could take them home, which was like the scariest experience of my life. Like, wow. I felt like I was a parent taking their, you know, newborn baby home for the first time. I was like, I don't think I'm qualified to do this. Can we stay a little longer? Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> can't you just like, you know, raise them till I don't know. They're like a yearling or something. <laughs> um, but it, it worked out. We got them home and they're, they're just the coolest little little guys, they're so personable and they've been so well handled that, you know, there's none of that shy, full, right. Goofiness about them. I mean, they're like dogs. Like, yeah, I was just going to say it was like puppies. (laughs) Yeah. They'll like lay in your lap. They'll lick you. They, they're just so, they're so people oriented, which is really neat. That is so cool. In the summer months, I feel like a lot of places that we horse show also tend to have lots and lots of rain and it's always the worst when you have you know a hot summer day with a bunch of rain and you also have a bunch of rain gear and it's just like the worst feeling in the world being hot and raining and disgusting and gross but I want to talk about whether or not equestrian because if you have not tried their breeches oh my gosh I am putting you on to a life-changing material that is absolutely so revolutionary and I feel like everyone needs a pair if not several whether or not equestrian breaches. First of all they are waterproof and I know 
when I say waterproof, you say, okay, Bethany, like maybe like a little sprinkle or like get some water on them and it's fine. No, they actually, their fabric passed rain test AATCC 35,000. I don't know what that means, but after looking it up, it tests, it really like measures the resistance to the penetration of water by impact. I, again, read this, read this on their website, looked it up to actually see what the heck it was. Still didn't believe it. So I have a couple pairs and I put them on, went right to the barn, into the wash rack, and I ran the hose over my leg. And I was absolutely shocked how the water literally ran off my leg. Normal, you know, like riding breeches, not to mention they fit so well. They're so stretchy. They're so flattering. There's a zipper in the back, um, you know, right below your waist um, band that literally holds your phone so you don't have to like wear anything or have worry about your phone slipping out of your pocket. It's just like so well made. And to top it off, the fabric is not only comfortable, stretchy, incredible, it's literally rain resistant, which is just, I think, so revolutionary for our sport. So you've heard enough from me blabbering on. You need to go try them for yourself because I didn't believe it until I tried them for myself. So go visit their website. It's wonequestrian.com. So whether or not equestrian.com. Again, that's wonequestrian.com. Get yourself a pair of these breeches and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. They changed my life and I cannot wait to ride in them in Florida and in Kentucky all summer. I mean, truly, thanks to whether or not equestrian, rain does not have to freak you out anymore. So go check them out. You will not be sorry. What would you say is something that has been like super unexpected that you've learned through this process through the twins I think it's really been amazing the amount of support people have given me um I think it's easy in this in this um business to kind of feel like you're going at it alone sometimes and I really think the amount of support I've had through them is has been amazing. Like people have reached out for me to me from all over the world, um, just to like, you know, say, Hey, I hope everything goes well. And we're thinking of them. And, and it's just amazing kind of how many people have, are following their story, you know, cause it's just like another day for us. We get up, we take care of them. We take care of 18 other horses, <laughs> um, you know, and you kind of forget that they are such a rarity, but it has been really neat to see the amount of people who who are following them and, and the amount of people who have supported us on this journey because everyone goes through hard times and um, it's just been really, really uplifting to see how many people have come through and, and helped me in my time of need here. Cool. That's awesome. What do you, what do you think is next for the Foles? Well, they are actually currently at the vet clinic right now because little Emmett, my problem child, um, <laughs> developed um, a little infection in his lungs. So mm. he was not quite himself um, about a week ago. And we decided to be safe and to take him to the vet clinic, which is quite, which is not, not as easy as it seems to load up a mare in two foals and yeah. trail them. So, but I think it was the best thing to get him there. They were able to 
to really take a good look at the lungs and see what was going on with him. So I think the plan is we hope we get him healthy and 100%. And right now we're still in a waiting game of letting the bones ossify. So the next step is we can hopefully introduce a little bit of turnout. And then from there, you know, they're hopefully going to be able to go out full time like normal horses one day. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that by the time they're weaned, they'll just be normal horses that we can throw out in the field and, you know, just let them grow up, grow up and be. And then after that, I guess we'll see just kind of go day by day. I think the Philly L will hopefully be a nice riding horse for myself. She's, she's kind of a little miniature version of her mother, maybe a little bit more refined, which is great. And we'll see him. And Emmett, I think is probably going to be our pet and whatever he decides to do is what he'll decide to do. If he ends up being a riding horse, great. If he just hangs out in the field, yeah, that's fine too. We bought a farm, so, you know, he can, he can do that. So he can I be guess, a lifer. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we'll just kind of see, we'll kind of see how, how the future plays out. Yeah. At what point in the baby's lives do you kind of start picking? I mean, I know it's so hard because right now they're not, you know, in larger spaces for you to really like gauge any type of like movement or anything like that. But like, at what point in general, do you kind of start pointing out, you know, different aspects of a foal to maybe like equate to like a possible future competitive career? You know, it's so hard because I've seen probably hundreds and hundreds of foals at this point. And I've seen some that just knock your socks off as as foals. I mean, you look at them at the inspection, you're like, holy cow. And, and some of them turn out to be just that spectacular at three and others, you never really see that movement like that ever again, especially once they get put under saddle. Sure. So for me, I really look for something that's well-balanced overall. I don't care how fancy it moves um, because you can change the movement and they, the movement changes as they get stronger. But I really want to see a foal that kind of like goes into, you know, trots down the long side and, and kind of starts to naturally back itself off for that corner and kind of balance through the turn rather than just, you know, careen around a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of like to see that natural ability to sit down and that natural ability to balance whether they move average or whether they move spectacularly. Um, yeah. It doesn't change that for me. So I think sometimes it's hard. It's hard to know. I mean, Blondie herself, I bought her when she was a couple days old and, and she was a pretty average moving full, I have to say, um, she kind of like dinked around the field. Um, wasn't, wasn't anything. I just always loved her personality and just really liked her. But then fast forward a couple months later at her inspection, she was like co-champion of the inspection. I mean, she just, as she developed, she got a little stronger and, and she was just a total powerhouse and a, and a huge mover. And she's been that way her whole life. So I think sometimes you get like a little bit of a sleeper foal that maybe isn't such a great foal, but you throw them out in the field and you don't look at them and you bring them in and you have a really nice, th- you know, three-year-old on your hands. So yeah. 
That's so cool. Um, what would you say is something that you're passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't like know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? I think probably my biggest passion would have to be young horses. <laughs> I've, you know, been lucky enough to train a horse all the way to Grand Prix and have multiple horses at FEI that I've trained. And I, and I have to say my biggest passion is still riding, you know, <laughs> a four-year-old through a really balanced 20 meter circle, yeah. you know, or, or feeling them really figure out that canter transition for the first time. Um, I think my biggest passion is definitely young horses. And I, I think they're a little bit addicting and I, I don't know that there's enough emphasis put on them um, as far as their, their training and how they're raised. I don't tend to be super hands-on with my young horses that I raise, but they all lead, they all pick up their feet. You know, I don't, I don't tend to overhandle them. I think it's important that horses don't see us as entertainment, but I think, you know, managing your young horses is really an important part of, of having a nice riding horse when, when they grow up um, and kind of facilitating that early, early training with them, even if it's no more than leading and, you know, staying out of my space and moving away from pressure. Um, mm. But I think young horses, you know, are is obviously the future of our sport. And I think, I think raising them correctly is so important. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Well, Kara, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story and your full story. It's so incredible and, and obviously so rare and, and so cool to continue to watch their journey. So thank you for sharing it with us and I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.